Poetry of Oles Bernek put to music by an unknown artist. That was Vichna Taina Kletche Nas, Eternal Mystery Calls Us. Vitaio vas vsihtor hi radio suhechi na radio peredaciu nas holos radio krinskoho korinja. Pre mikrofoni pavina makwari diakuyush chorishle perebutu zimnoyu nastupnu hodenu me maimu dushitsikavi novene nasjonishi prohrami itakoj chudovu krinsku muziku. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm your host Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got a great program lined up for you on Ukrainian Jewish heritage, a look at the role that museums play in understanding history and applying it to our lives today, as well a book review about the assassin of Stepan Bandera. So stay tuned for all of that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a brand new group from the United Kingdom. They are called Kov Cossacks. And here they are now from their recently released EP and a song called Beyond Yasadila, kind of taking a traditional Ukrainian folk song just a little beyond. Kov Cossacks with Beyond Yasadila. Він грає 
daje karty, karty wyprowadzę wrotę, będzie zabudano. O jak mi może promienie zabudy, kole obrazów na stinie. O jak mi może promienie zabudy, kole synoczek na ruci. O jak mi może promienie zabudy, kole synoczek na ruci. Tickets today for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. For over 50 years, CNUF has showcased the very best in Ukrainian culture through music, food, and of course, incredible dancing. Get your early bird weekend passes right now for only $85. Your weekend pass is your passport to a full weekend of activities and live ongoing entertainment. Canada's National Ukrainian Festival August Long Weekend in Dauphin, Manitoba. For more information, see cnuf.ca. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit shochenkofoundation.com. Ти забрала, а я колос хати прогнала. 
Бо на печі батько та мати, а за пічку батькові діти, ні за тебе якові діти. Не пішов же яків додому, та залізо гишку в солому, а собаки гавкати стали, поки батько й мати не стали. Наробили гала судіти, так шанувно в хаті сидіти, я забрала раки у миску, саме пішла спати у хишку. І хто приніс раки, признайся Поки мене батько питався А мій яким схишки убрався Через тим та через городу Наробивши батькові шкоду Не приходжи якове нічу Бо буде сторожа піпіцю Мене батько й мати все лають А що тебе ніяк не Ukrainian-American group Korinya from their recently released EP and a traditional Ukrainian folk song about a young man. That's one of those courtship songs, Yakiv, and that translates as Joseph. Up next, coming north of the border from Montreal, we have Lesya and a more contemporary rendition of a traditional Ukrainian folk song. It's called Chervonaya Kalinoinka, which translates as the red gilder rose or highbush cranberry.
And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome to Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm Peter Baker. History, Trauma, and the Museum Space Museums can offer many faces to the world, from dusty collections of artifacts to dramatic arenas outlining or avoiding compelling national or cultural narratives. A recent lecture sponsored by the Center for Urban History of East Central Europe in Lviv looked at the role museums play in tackling difficult issues in history. Vadim Altskan, originally born in Ukraine, is a historian specializing in Eastern European, Balkan, and Jewish history. He is a project director for the International Archival Programs at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum's Center for Advanced Holocaust Studies. Altskan's lecture was entitled, The Missing Page in Museums, the history of Jewish communities as part of the multi-ethnic heritage of Ukraine. The challenge of integrating the history of the Jewish communities of Ukraine into the museums and educational systems of contemporary Ukraine is not a problem unique to that country alone. Ukraine's neighbors in Eastern Europe and the post-Soviet space have grappled with this issue with varying degrees of frustration and success. Altskan made the fundamental point that to provoke interest in other people's lives requires you to show who they were, how they lived, and why they are no longer here. Museums play a key role in showing or not showing all of this. So how is Jewish history presented in Ukrainian museums today? Altskan noted the national network of privately funded Jewish museums, with the largest in Dnipro and others in Odessa, Chernivtsi, Kharkiv, Kriviryk, Khmelnytsky, Kherson, Kyiv, and Lviv. Some interesting temporary exhibitions are now being held in state museums, most recently in Lviv. Nonetheless, current Ukrainian public knowledge of Ukrainian Jewish history is fragmentary and incomplete. Why is Ukrainian Jewish history missing, and how can it be returned to the Ukrainian public? Altskan forthrightly listed the problems in developing a jointly acceptable Ukrainian and Jewish narrative for museums and the educational sector. There is a vague and distorted knowledge of each other's history. There is ethnocentrism. There are viewpoints that don't fit into the well-established concerns and canons of each community's history. Altskan identified five problematic areas of history. They include the Hmelnitsky Cossack uprising against the Poles in the 17th century. There was the Haidamak popular rebellion against the Polish regime in the 18th century. There were the pogroms in Russian Tsarist-ruled Central and Eastern Ukraine in the 19th century. There was the bloody civil war after the Russian Revolution of 1917, followed a couple of decades later by the Holocaust. Altskan asks how all these historic events could be treated by both nations. Do we see these events differently? And why? All of this is aggravated and complicated. Altskan underlined that for much of their history, Jews and Ukrainians lived in two solitudes, in two parallel worlds. While a Jewish-Ukrainian dialogue gathered speed in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, fueled by emerging nationalism and Zionism, the Ukrainian state-building project failed to be implemented after the First World War. This tragic failure laid the foundation for worse relations for much of the 20th century. Both nations accused each other of betraying the other. Ironically, as Altskan pointed out, the Ukrainian-Jewish dialogue re-emerged later in the camps of the Soviet Gulag. Jews and Ukrainians shared the same physical space, could openly speak with each other, and despite differences, shared the urge for freedom. This laid the foundation of a new dialogue, augmented by developing academic contacts between the Jewish and Ukrainian diasporas in the West. And of course, as Altskan reminded us, Jews and Ukrainians now have their own independent states and can interact as equals. Furthermore, 
Third parties can't interfere with this dialogue. The challenging question now, as Altskan asks, is what kind of history should we teach and show now in museums? The answer is to avoid a black-and-white approach. It should be multidimensional, with many tints and colors. In Altskan's view, Ukrainian historians and museums should refrain from heroic myths and controversial figures that alienate non-Ukrainians. And Jewish historians should reject outdated, Ukrainophobic approaches. A usable past for both Jews and Ukrainians can stress the more positive features of neighborly relations between the two communities. Find heroes who are consolidating for Ukrainian society. Those figures who built the economy and industry. Oral history on the local level builds bridges to another culture. As an audience member said in response to Altskan's presentation, people today want to find out how people in the past lived, what brought them together, not what divided them. Altskan underlined that young Ukrainians today are free people who have never experienced slavery. This is crucial for the development of a civil society. It will be a gradual and lengthy process, as the examples of neighboring Poland and Lithuania show. And museums, telling the story not only of Ukrainians, but everyone who was in Ukraine, are important in shaping that civil society. This has been Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nash Hollis Ukrainian Roots Radio. From San Francisco, I'm Peter Baker. Until next time, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com.
Canadian pianist Maria Dolnecki with Waltz by Levko Ruvitsky, 19th century Ukrainian composer. Up next, very popular Ukrainian group from back in the 1980s, Nizhures, and a traditional Ukrainian patriotic song, Oy Uluzi Chervona Kalena, another song about uh, that highbush cranberry, also known as a gelder rose, and that is kind of the national tree of Ukraine, a very symbolic plant indeed. Nizhures with Oy Uluzi Chervona Kalena. Червона калина похилилася, чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася, а ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну не розвеселимо. Radio Pratamu Nash Holos Radio Krinsko Hokorinia Nabahatumovni Radio Stansi AM Trinatiat Vatsiat CHMB Umisti Vancouveri Primikrofoni Pavlina. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on AM thirteen twenty CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host Pavlina. So 
from Montreal by the name of Chedemshena that's been around for a long, long time and a great favorite of mine. And that was a medley of traditional Ukrainian folk songs. Coming up next is another girl group from Montreal, and I think this is going to be another one of my favorites. Uh, They're fairly young. They put out this recording a couple of years ago. They are called Rosa, and here they are now with a song about a different tree, uh, also kind of common in Ukrainian folklore, a poplar tree, Stoyit Topolya. Стоїть 
Це допомога пораненим воїнам та патріотам, які захищають свободу своєї країни у сьогоднішній війні за Україну. Ukraine War Amps представляє програму «Всинови солдата». З вашою підтримкою наша організація зможе передавати принаймні 50 доларів США щомісяця для цільової підтримки якомога більшого числа українських героїв. 100% зібраних коштів буде передано напряму героям, пораненим у війні за Україну. Програма «Всинови солдата» будує унікальний зв'язок між вами і солдатом, якого ви підтримуєте. Все починається з вас. Візьміть під опіку солдата. Підтримайте героя України. Welcome to Knishka Corner. Book reviews by Myra Junik. Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Serhii Plokhi's non-fiction thriller The Man with the Poison Gun, a Cold War spy story. The Man with the Poison Gun, Serhii Plotky's first non-fiction thriller, focuses on the life of Bogdan Stashinsky, the assassin who killed Stepan Bandera and Lev Rebet. The very first paragraph sets up a shocking comparison between fiction and real life. In the fall of 1961, while... David Cornwell, a British spy, more commonly known as Jean Le Carré, was contemplating the writing of his first best-selling novel, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. The West German police were actually interrogating a Soviet spy. That spy was Bogdan Stashinsky. His story begins in 1949, in post-war Ukraine, when Nikita Khrushchev, then the party boss of Ukraine, decided that he needed to destroy the Ukrainian resistance by killing the leader of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, Oun Stepan Bandera. Bandera had spent years in Polish prisons and the German concentration camp of Schassenhausen. His followers were now headquartered in Munich, the center of the American occupation zone, in Germany. In early 1950, Bogdan Stashinsky was arrested by the Soviets for a minor offense and given an ultimatum. Cooperate with the Soviets and become a traitor to Ukraine or face prison time and possible death along with his entire family. Bogdan chose to become an agent of the Soviets. Stashinsky returned from Lviv to his native village and told his relatives that the secret police were hot on his heels. Everyone agreed that under the circumstances he had no choice but to flee to the forest and join the guerrillas. His initial task involved betraying members of the Ukrainian underground, which led to arrests and assassinations. When Stashinsky's family found out the truth about what he had done, Stashinsky had nowhere to go. 
He had saved his family by betraying it. They did not want to have him around anymore. The secret police would become his new home and family. As an agent of the Soviet secret police, Bogdan would be trained in spycraft and assassination techniques. His weapon was a poison gun, which would immediately kill his target with undetectable poisonous fumes. His initial target in Munich was Lev Rebet, a troublesome Ukrainian journalist. The KGB described Rebet as an intellectual leader of the Ukrainian nationalists who wrote articles inciting Ukrainians to fight against the Soviet occupiers. Stashinsky killed Rebet on October 12, 1957. After his initial success, he was given a more important target, the leader of Oun, Stepan Bandera. Bandera's assassination was more complex because of his bodyguard, and it involved following the Ukrainian leader for weeks on end. However, Stashinsky eventually saw his opportunity when Bandera was alone after a shopping trip and murdered him on October the 15th, 1959, in the stairwell of his home. At first, authorities were mystified by Bandera's death, calling it a stroke or a possible suicide. The poison that killed Bandera left no trace, so it was not until Stashinsky defected to West Germany that he revealed how Bandera died. In order to stay in the West, Stashinsky had to convince German authorities that the KGB wanted to kill him because of what he knew about the Soviet assassination plots. He was eventually tried for the murders of Rabat and Bandera, and his trial opened up the truth to the world for the very first time. The Man with the Poison Gun is a very interesting book about post-war Soviet and European politics. Khrushchev's role in the deaths of Rabat and Bandera was shocking to the world community at the time. Today, the attempted assassination of Ukraine's President Viktor Yushchenko and the successful assassinations of journalist Alexander Litvinenko in London, Sergei Magnitsky in a Russian prison, and Boris Nemtsov on a bridge in Moscow are brutal reminders that the strategies of the post-war KGB are still alive and well in Russia. Plotky was able to write his book because of the information he gathered from Stashinsky's trial testimony, as well as recently released historical documents such as KGB and CIA archives. His extensive notes will be very useful to anyone wanting to know more about post-war Ukrainian resistance. Plotky is a historian, not a writer of spy thrillers like John le Carré or Ian Fleming, and he has difficulty describing Stashinsky's moral qualms about killing his victims. He tells readers that in his early days as a Soviet agent, Bogdan was confused since he had been raised as a Christian. The idea of killing another human being was difficult for him to contemplate. However, Bogdan did proceed to kill both Rabbit and Bandera, regardless of his confusion. Despite these issues, Plaki's book is an interesting and revealing expose of Stashinsky's life as a Soviet agent and his role in the murders of Rabbit and Bandera. Readers will be surprised to learn that Ian Fleming actually modeled part of his novel The Man with the Golden Gun on the actions of Bogdan Stashinsky. Although The Man with the Poison Gun is Serhii Plotky's first non-fiction thriller, he has written extensively on the history of Ukraine and Eastern Europe. His most recent works include The Gates of Europe, A History of Ukraine, The Last Empire, The Final Days of the Soviet Union, and The Cossack Myth, History and Nationhood, in the Age of Empires. Plucky was born in Russia to Ukrainian parents, but grew up and went to school in Ukraine. He received his PhD in history from Kiev University. 
He was a professor of history and associate director of the Peter Yatsik Center for Ukrainian Historical Research at the University of Alberta. He is currently the Mikhailo Khrushchevsky Professor of Ukrainian History at Harvard University. The Man with the Poison Gun is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Embrace the Ukrainian culture, music, food, and dancing at Canada's National Ukrainian Festival, August 3rd to 5th, Dauphin, Manitoba. Your early bird weekend pass is only $85. Day passes and camping passes are also available. Purchase your tickets online at cnuf.ca. Volodymyr Ivasyuk with one of his popular recordings, Pisnia Bude Pomizhnas, the song will be with us. Coming up next, a contemporary rendition of a traditional Ukrainian resistance song, and can't tell you who the uh, um, performers are. This was one of those YouTube treasures, but I'd like to share it with you now. The song is called Hey Hu, Hey Ha.
Вишники готові, прощаємо я дівчат Сьогодні помандруєм, не знаємо самі Де завтра заночуєм, чортиме лісові Гей-гу, гей-га, чортиме лісові Гей-гу, гей-га А як прийдеться стати зі зброєю в руках Бандера поведе на сама його гостях І сіднемо сто тисячу зубі сатані Чи паску, чи зловишся на дріг На всі питання ката Давай один отвіт Що довго належав Або ж ти був Євген Щоб слава залунала Далеко ген-ген-ген Ей-гу, ей-га Далеко ген-ген-ген best in Ukrainian programming, tune in to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio in Vancouver every Saturday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on AM 1320 CHMB and streaming at am1320.com. Live in Nanaimo Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Time on CHLY 101.7 FM and online at chly.ca and elsewhere in the world on the PCJ Radio Network on AM, FM, Shortwave and Satellite Radio. If you miss the live radio transmissions of any edition of the show, you can find us in between broadcasts at www.nasholos.com where you can get the podcast links to all three editions of the show as well as other audio features, transcripts and more. As well, make sure to follow us on Twitter, like the Nasholos Facebook page and visit our blog. I love to hear from you, so please send your comments, suggestions, dedications and requests. Your comments are always welcome. And our proverb of the week translates as Where there is no harmony, there are all kinds of evil. And with that, we've come to the end of our program. So to wrap things up, we have Stephen Schwach from Edmonton, along with his Simbala students, from a CD called Learning Curves and a traditional Ukrainian folk song or dance, Ishumet Ihudeh, The Blowing Wind. I'm Pavlina, on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320, thanks for listening and Dobranich!
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.